Dear fellow redeemed in Christ Jesus, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God, except this foreigner? We might ask Jesus what he expected. Why did he express such surprise? Where are the nine? They went to the temple to show themselves to the priests. That's where you told them to go. Why would you expect them to go anywhere else? They did what they were commanded to do. Imagine if you gave your child leftover macaroni and cheese for lunch. I always hated leftover macaroni and cheese. It's disgusting. One of those things I only liked fresh and hot. It was never my fault when there were leftovers, and I hated it, hated eating it the next day. Even worse than leftover macaroni and cheese was leftover, leftover macaroni and cheese. Even my mom knew this. And so if we didn't finish it the first time, we had to finish it the second time. There was no sneaking away from the table then. If we were caught playing with toys without having finished lunch, we would be very sternly commanded back to the table until it was all eaten up. It's good to be a grown-up sometimes. But imagine putting your son or daughter through this. Yet instead, imagine, instead of bearing such bad news and being the mean mom, giving your child the sweetest of surprises. You see the unfinished mac and cheese on his plate. You know it's no good. You throw it away and you put nice hot pizza in its place, your child's favorite food. And then you tell him in a very matter-of-fact way, as though scolding him, that he'd better get up to the table and finish up his lunch. Doing your best, then, to conceal your knowing smirk, you watch him drag his feet until he's out of sight and entering the dining room. You expect to hear something. Happiness, maybe. Excitement. Even more than for his sake alone, would it not be for the reward of seeing him so relieved and grateful and even hugging you before he indulges that you would pull such a friendly prank? But imagine seeing him head out the back door a few minutes later to play in the yard, wiping pizza sauce onto his sleeve as he goes, saying nothing at all to you. There's something wrong with that kid. Is the mother wrong to wonder why her son did not run back and thank her? Is she expecting more from him than she should if she hoped he might have expressed something more than just, what, doing what he's told? Go finish your lunch, then you can play. Well, he did. You told me to, and I did. Is that his attitude? There's something wrong with that kid. Ingratitude like this is a sign of real sickness of heart and mind. Yeah, Jesus knew exactly where the nine were. They went where he told them to go. And on their way, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Instead of returning to thank Jesus, they enjoyed their return to health. They did what they were told to do, and they got what they wanted. And what might they say if they were reproved for not saying thank you? Are you saying we weren't cleansed? Are you saying we still have leprosy? Is that what you're saying? What? No. That is not what I'm saying at all. I said you should have said thank you because you were cleansed. 
So you're saying that I'm not really grateful because I didn't return. Yeah. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Well, you can't see my heart. But I think I kind of can. You wiped it all over your sleeve. You prefer the permission of the priests and pizza, the approval of the law, over the praise of Christ, or the love of your mother. What kind of ungrateful behavior is it once you have been healed from a life-ending disease that cuts you off from everything and everybody you've ever loved to not return and give thanks to the one who healed you? What pride to do anything but blush in utter humiliation when called out for it? Well, it has come, and not that surprising. Where are the nine, Jesus asked. They're doing what they're told, and no one can tell them they didn't do enough when they did what they were commanded to do. No one but Jesus. And the verse immediately before our gospel lesson is though preparing us for the events we just heard. Jesus says to his disciples, So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have only done what was our duty to do. But what more can be expected than what we are commanded? What must we do beyond what the law requires, beyond what we're told, to avoid having to say those self-abasing words that Jesus tells us to say? Who wants to be an unprofitable servant? But that's the point. There's absolutely nothing we can do to graduate from being unprofitable. There's nothing we can do that can make it unnecessary to return for more mercy. It is in humility and repentance and deep recognition that, that we profit and deserve nothing at all. It is in this posture alone that the soul of any man, woman, or child is prompted to bound back, leaping like a deer to thank the Lord, who doesn't hold a lack of profitability against us. No, he receives us again and honors us again and sends us away in peace again. We never do enough, and he doesn't judge us. He saves us. He doesn't tell us to say we're unprofitable so that we might learn eventually to be profitable. He tells us to say we're unprofitable servants to teach us how to be grateful servants. For here alone, thanksgiving is born, in knowing that doing what you're told is never enough, and it's not your goal. So you do what no one had to tell you to do. You thank God. He is your goal. Not because it profits anything, but because it honors him who profits everything and gives you freely. Now, to be sure, of course, God does command you to give thanks. It's all over in the Bible, but so did your mother. Your mother told you to say thank you in order to teach you to be mindful of other people's kindnesses. It's the same advice that Solomon gives his son in Proverbs 4. It's the least you owe. God tells you to say thank you by showing kindness. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. He wants you to know it. He needs nothing from you, but he cares what you know. To receive God's mercy in true faith 
is to want to return to the source of mercy in true gratitude. It is to continually sense your need for mercy and to run back over and over to find it. St. Paul writes of it in Romans 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, those who don't give thanks to God by returning to God are ungrateful for the peace they have with God. That is why they don't make use of this access to grace. Now, they might say they're grateful, but they really just mean to say that they liked the pizza that mom made or whatever it is that God cooked up for them. They liked it, and you can't tell them they didn't. And they think that liking what God gives is the same as being grateful. But it's not. They are not grateful. They prove it by not returning. By not returning to give thanks for mercy, they show that they believe they are not so undeserving of mercy. That's it. By not wanting to learn from God, they take for granted everything that God otherwise gives. Ingratitude is entitlement. It is a lack of faith. Ingratitude is impenitence. It is a sign of real sickness of heart and mind. It is sin. People say that they're too ashamed to return to church after they have sinned by remaining away too long. But it's not true. As anyone who has once made this excuse in his heart and has since learned better can tell you, it's not that they are too ashamed, it's that they're not ashamed enough. They're ungrateful. They forget who meets them here and who has met them here. They forget the mercy that, that taught them who they owe gratitude to. They think what they need is something they've got to earn because they think what they've already received was something that once they kind of deserved. And they want to return to deserving it again before they return again. Lest they have to say that they are unprofitable servants, I suppose, and then they'll come back to give God thanks. That's the issue. Jesus tells us to repent. The one who tells us to repent is the one who stands ready always to give and give and give more of the mercy we need. He's the one who commands heaven and all of us here on earth to rejoice when the shame-faced penitent returns and not to judge him, but to receive him back. That's what Jesus says. And he's the one who gives the mercy that only those who know how to blush ask for. The mercy that alone turns repentance into songs of thanksgiving. Now, to be sure, this is not simply a matter of staying away from church or skipping an obvious sin of ingratitude. But it is also the sin of not turning to Christ in times of temptation. It is the same ingratitude. We who fall into works of the flesh do so when we fail to pursue the works or the fruits of the Spirit. Can any of us 
ever even come to church to give thanks for anything without also coming to ask for mercy. No. The Lord's Supper has long been called the Eucharist because Jesus gave thanks for the bread he broke and the wine he shared. Eucharist means thanksgiving. Jesus didn't tell his disciples to say thank you when he gave them what was more precious than daily bread. That's not why we call it the Eucharist. It is Jesus who thanked. Jesus thanked his Father for what he could have done without earthly bread and wine. He thanked his Father for this. He thanked God for the strength that the little bread provided and the refreshment the little wine supplied. And that's why we call it the Eucharist. We eat and drink in memory of his gratitude to God. Because it is from his gratitude to God that he was able to give us so much more than bread and wine. And we should thank him for sharing it. Even if it were mere bread that might otherwise have aided him in his valiant passion to gain victory for us that he once shared with his disciples, yet we should return to him daily for the thoughtful gesture of sharing it when he himself needed it so much for strength to win our salvation. And yet it is not mere bread. On the night he was betrayed by giving his body and blood with the bread and wine to his disciples, Jesus was obligating himself not to turn back. He would go to the Father he thanked by offering himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to be led as a sheep, to be sheared and butchered that very night. By giving his body and blood before he died, he was making it impossible to renege. What mercy! How can he refuse to die if he has already made himself food and drink and his disciples have already eaten and drunk? By giving his body and blood to us today, on the other hand, he's making a similar pledge. Not that he'll go through with his passion, he already has, but that he will continue to intercede for us. He swears by himself that he who paid this price for our salvation also rose from the dead and reigns in heaven where he prepares a place for us. He tells us in the sacrament as we receive it, I gave this into death for you. I spilled this blood for you. Every crumb and drop are precious. I need it for my life. I give it for yours. And I share these with you so that you know what great price I paid and why. And why? To share with you what I earned with it. To give you peace with the Father who poured his wrath against your sin into the cup that I and I alone must drink. But you take drink. Drink this instead. For I have already drunk all wrath against you. It is my blood. Here is forgiveness. Do what I say. Take drink. And what you eat here is living. I eat dust. I taste death. But so that you who are made from dust might taste life instead, take eat. Do what I say. It is my body, not a husk that I borrowed, but flesh and blood like yours that I assumed into my Godhead and made mine forever. It now fills all things because I will not give it up. It is too precious to me that flesh and blood that I have in common with you. And I fill all things with all that I am. I am your brother. I am your God. 
I am your risen Savior. I give my body to you so that you know why I gave it into death. Take it. Do what I say. Take drink. Obey me. Be assured. You are reconciled to my God and yours. And my Father and yours. Go in peace. Do what I say. But where does Jesus tell us to thank him? How is that not assumed? We call it the Eucharist because he gave thanks for bread and wine. How can we not give thanks for that which, if we eat in faith, gives life and good life and health and joy and peace that lasts forever? What we do, when we do what we are told, when we eat and drink and depart in peace and go about our lives assured that we have obtained life and been confirmed in our good standing with the Almighty, when we do what we are told and depart in peace, have we really gone in peace if we are not also moved to conclude that we are unprofitable still. If we do not say what Jesus tells us to say, when we have only done what we were commanded to do, do we really believe his promises or even love them? If we do not immediately ask what the psalmist sings, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And if we do not answer our question by saying, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And the cup he gives to us is everything that Christ has profited for us. What need do you have to profit something with your thanksgiving other than to return to him who gives? For I have not my God to offer save the blood of thy dear son. Graciously accept the proffer. Make his righteousness my own. Here's a song of thanksgiving if there is one. To return and thank Jesus is indistinguishable from acknowledging your need for continual mercy. To return and thank Jesus is indistinguishable from receiving the mercy you continually need. For have we ourselves really made his righteousness our own? If, when we, upon seeing that we are healed, cleansed, made whole, and told to depart in peace, if we do not immediately run back in our minds and memory and with our feet the next week, to him who has dealt so kindly with us. If we do not in our hearts fall on our faces and praise God with a loud voice. But who tells us to? Who tells me to return and how often I have to? Who tells me when? Who tells me? Akin to the who is my neighbor question of the lawyer last week, this where does it say in the Bible question so often asked today is the question of one who must be coerced with bit and bridle, lest he come near, even just to say thank you. It is the question of one who is under the law. It is the spirit of legalism that refuses to be called unprofitable. It is the spirit of the kid who doesn't thank his mom for his pizza, but resents her for asking him how he liked it, and if he would like some more. The Lord, have mercy on us. This spirit is no mist in the air. It is the natural corruption of our very flesh. It is the leprosy that we cannot cure. None of us shakes it off. As often as we think this way, we had better run back to Christ and thank him for the mercy we need, or else we will surely forget where to find it. This is how the Samaritan concluded. 
He returned to give Jesus thanks, not because he was required to. He wasn't under the law. He was led by the Spirit. He went back not because some pastor, disciple told him that he had better do it, lest Jesus get mad. No, he gave the fruit of thanksgiving like Abel and Abraham and Jacob. He gave the first and best of all that God had given him. He himself, only a tenth of a tenth of those whom Jesus had healed, tithed what was more precious than gold or silver. And it is more precious from you. He returned to see the face of the man up close who rescued him from the living death of leprosy. He was not under the law, and neither are you. He was a Christian who went to church with a free spirit. He was not under the law. He was under no compulsion but the compulsion of a spirit freed from the law. And such a spirit that seeks the face of Christ sees the face of Christ. A spirit that says with sincere joy and honest understanding because he listened to his father Solomon, blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be praising thee. For the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold. And he doesn't. And he won't. He withholds nothing to those who would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of their Lord than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The tent of wickedness is not the house of the rising sun. We heard a description of the house of the rising sun earlier with the works of the flesh. You don't want to be there. And plenty indeed return to the mire after being cleansed by Christ. They need our intercession and encouragement. No, but the tent of wickedness might be a perfectly fine and happy home. It might consist of familial joy and memories of warmth in the making. It may be family and friends welcoming back one of nine cleansed lepers, hugging his children. The tent of wickedness may be all these things. The sweet and playful mom teasing her child about pizza and macaroni. But the tent of wickedness is a thankless home. There is no light. God is not thanked there because God's mercy is not depended on there. And the path of wickedness is broad. The greatest sin it leads to is not the list we just heard. No, it is the ingratitude toward God from which every other work of the flesh proceeds. And that is why we eat and drink Christ's body and blood in memory of his gratitude for the distinct privilege of laying down his life to save us. The way of the just is narrow. It leads you to Christ alone. It leads you back to Christ again and again. It's the path the Samaritan took. Follow him. The kingdom of God had indeed come upon him as it has come upon you. His heart was filled with thanksgiving to God that he had found mercy in Christ, even as you have learned to be grateful so often in your life. Follow him who hurries back to look upon the face of God's anointed. Follow him who runs back to give thanks. Find Christians in your life who go to church and do what they do. The grateful hearts they have is filled with gratitude that God wants to fill your heart with too. The path the Samaritan takes is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. This is a picture of gratitude. Follow those who are grateful. Come to church. Don't skip. 
Stop skipping. Don't enjoy what you're thankful for without returning to him you owe it to. He gives you more than bread, even if he has to borrow your bread to give it to you. Take firm hold of his instruction and do not let go. It is the thankless who stumble. It is the grateful who, even when they run, cannot stumble because they are always running back to Jesus who lifts them up again if they do. That's what he says to you. Arise, your faith has saved you. Depart in peace. Brothers and sisters, that there is an invitation to return as often as you are thankful and as often as you have been ungrateful. As often as you are defiled by works of the flesh that you are ashamed of. And as often as you regret what you have left undone. You do what you are commanded. Not for the approval of the priests in the temple. But for joy that our true high priest has cleansed us. And continues to intercede for us in heaven. We are his temple. We are his house of living stones. Blessed is he who dwells in us forever. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.